Welcome to the Living Word, the radio broadcast ministry of Living Word Church. We've been talking about uh, spiritual assault in relation to the believer's battle that we that I'm presently teaching on the series on believer's battle, and we're talking now about spiritual assault, which I have said comes in very many ways, and these are part of the wiles of the devil. They are part of the schemes of the devil to destabilize any Christian's walk and destroy anybody's faith. And I picked on the point of doubt and distrust in God. And in that, James said in chapter 1, of James, from verse 5 to 8 there, James said, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and do not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And as I said earlier, and I'm saying it again, the asking that James is uh, asking us to do here is not about asking for material things, which is the most common Christian practice, embarrassingly so, where people just think God is there as the heavenly magician and the fixer. God will fix it. Church is like today, like the God will fix it show, where just ask anything. And it's always material. It's always material. I'm yet to see <clears throat> a church fellowship where people are being led to pray about righteousness, to pray about being holier, to pray about being more obedient, to pray about being sinless. I'm yet to see that. I'm yet to see where people pray are led to pray that God may make them models, role models in society. This is what Christians are supposed to be. We are supposed to be role models in society that the people can see us and see the beauty of Christ in us and call us Christians. Christians being little Christs. This was how it was with the Christians, the uh, first century Christians. They were called that in Antioch. They were called Christians. It was a nickname because people saw in them the life of Jesus Christ. They saw a full reflection of of Jesus Christ in them and in a positive way not in a negative way in such a good and beautiful way they saw the love within with which they interacted amongst themselves they saw the joy of the Lord in them because of the hope that they have that they had at the time and this, this is the same hope that we today have as Christians which is the hope of eternity not the hope of a bigger house and a better job and owning my own business and a husband and a child and all those things that people think are so essential to their living. None of these things are essential. The most essential thing is the hope we have is the fact that you have been saved if you are saved for all eternity. Because this life is not the be all and end all. And of what use is it if God does give you a marriage and all the children and everything and uh, you do get, you receive millions and you have a good bank account and you can buy all the cars you want and all the houses you like and then within a year of all that you die. Then of what use is it? Will you be fulfilled? I mean, many millionaires, all the, well, all the rich and famous in the world today who are not in Christ know that they are far from fulfilled. They are the saddest lot of people that we have. They are restless. They're full of anxiety. They are depressed. They're all hooked on alcohol and drugs. They're busy seeking fortune tellers and things like that because they don't know. They cannot find, having obtained all these material things, they cannot find a purpose for their lives. There's a deep hollow in them that can only be filled by the presence of the living God, the presence of the only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So when James talks about asking here, he's talking about wisdom. And as I said, wisdom is the very essential attribute and characteristic, uh, or gift rather, from God that we can have that will enable us to live the Christian life.
Because as I said, to be able to live through adversity, through perseverance, and that is the life of Christianity, it's the life of the perseverance of the saints. But to be able to live through all that, you cannot do it without the wisdom of God. Because Satan, the enemy, is going to be there taunting you, harassing you, tormenting you, and asking you, where is your God? He's going to ask you those questions. He's going to torture you. He's going to disturb you. He's going to distress you. He's going to try and destabilize you. He's going to put you off. He's going to demoralize you, demotivate you. He's going to say all sorts of things. Look at that. You go to church. Look at all those people. They're non-believers. They don't know God. They don't even want to know about God. Do they even know the name Jesus Christ? Of course not. Look how they're prospering. They are your boss at work. Look at them. Look at the house they live in. Look at their marriage. Look at their children. Look at what they've got. And look at you. You're still after this Christ and this Christ. And you say he loves you. If your Christ does love you, why does he let you suffer like this? Why are you? Why, why don't you have money? Why don't you have all these things? I thought you said the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein, the world and all who dwell in. How come he hasn't given it into your hands? I thought you, 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 your Bible tells you that the uh, wealth of the non-believers is going to be put in the hands of the believers, or something like that. That people like to quote. And Satan will tell you, so what happened? Where have you gone wrong? You see, God doesn't care about you. You better join up with those who do not know God and are prosperous. Yes, Satan will attack you with the word of God. If he could do that with the Lord Jesus Christ, who are you and who am I that we think we can get away lightly? He will. So we need wisdom. The wisdom that comes from God, not the wisdom of this age. The wisdom of this age is foolishness. That is what Satan will taunt you with. That is what he, those are the empty and futile, godless, blasphemous talk that he will put in the mouths of people close to you to tell you. Oh yes, people close to you. Could be your husband, could be your wife, who will taunt you about this Jesus of yours, this Christian life of yours. Look at you. Could be your best friend. Could be anybody. Your colleagues at work. Anybody, anywhere, anytime. Satan can use. If they're not in Christ, Satan can use them against you. And what will you say? So the wisdom is so essential. And so James says, look, if you're lacking in the wisdom that comes from God, ask God. He will not fail to give it to you. He gives to everyone. Because yes, indeed, God is very, very keen on, on children who are willing to obey him, who are willing to honor him, who are willing to please him. So of course he will give to he will give this wisdom to any one of us who asks without finding fault. However, James says, if you do ask, you must not doubt. He said, because if you doubt, you will get nothing from God. That's the thing. You see, God is never under obligation to do anything for us. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. We owe him our very lives because he gave us the lives. He can do with what with our lives whatever he chooses at any time he chooses. So he doesn't owe it to us. So if you are going to be doubting him. Then he doesn't, uh, he'll leave you to uh, satisfy yourself because you know what? The Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 here, in talking about the faith of the patriarchs, uh, we'll look at it from verse 5. It's, I love to read, to study Hebrews 11 regularly because um, I call it the uh, Faith Hall of Fame and it's wonderful because you know what? When I read this, I'm encouraged. Strengthens me myself when I see that all the patriarchs, all the servants of God before us, never even realized, you know, in the in Scripture, never even physic, physically realized the promises of God. They understood. They had the wisdom of God. They knew that their reward was not earthly because they could see this world from the eyes of God. That this world is nothing but futile and perishing. 
But you as a Christian who wants to embrace this world, because that is what is being taught in most places nowadays, you want to embrace this world. Yes, possess your possession. Yes, yeah, your territory. Leave the kingdom life. You cannot leave the kingdom life in the way you're talking about. That kingdom life, which means that life of showing off and possessing material things and all that, and stretching about claiming I'm highly favored and I'm blessed and I'm this, I'm the son of the most high God. That's not the kingdom life. The kingdom life, the life of Christianity, being a part of the kingdom of God, is living as Jesus did. Live in the in the footsteps of Christ, living and abiding in the Lord and his words abiding in you. So Hebrews 11 from verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found, because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was recommended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, Enoch in his day was uh, he was an outstanding person for God because you know what? Just like today, people who don't generally believe God to that level. They may know of his existence. A lot of Christians today know about God. They know about Christ. But do they know God? Do you know God? Do you know Christ? Because if you did know the the Most High God, the Triune God, then you would behave yourself. You would live appropriately. You would obey God's commands. You will live in in accordance with God's commands. If you really know Him, you know what? Because He is, not only is He the loving and compassionate God and Father to those who belong to Him. He's not Father to everybody. He's the Creator of everybody. But He's only Father to those who have come to Him, who have been reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Outside of Christ, God is not your Father. He's not. He's just a distant icon there like all the other religions see Him. And as long as you're not led by the Spirit of God, you are not a son of God because the Bible says it clearly. As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now the Spirit of God will never lead you into disobedience. So you see, there's a problem. How obedient are you to the will of God, to the commands of God, to the word of God? Because this is where we're able to separate. The the Bible says this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Those who can perpetually live in sin are not the children and sons of God. First John chapter 3. You know, study that. You'll see there what the distinguishing factor is. So Enoch stood out for the Lord, for God. In the same way you and I as Christians are meant to stand out. We're supposed to stand out from the crowd, not be counted with the crowd, which is what is going on now. We're supposed to be outstanding people, absolutely outstanding, different, despised and rejected even, because we stand out. We do not number ourselves among the heaven, and so they despise us, and they will hate us. Oh yes, they will not love us. If you're wanting the world to love you, you've got a problem. And that means you're actually saying to God, you know, you're not part of him. Because the Bible makes it clear that we, whoever is a friend with the world is an enemy of God. So people look at you. When you become part of, uh, when you, uh, the part of the life of Christ, you are different. You are so different that people wonder. They don't even want to mix with you. I lost, I lost practically all my friends. I didn't have that many in the first place because I've never been one for collecting friends. It's just not me. And... Um, but I'm a very sociable person. Don't think I'm a sad loner. I am far from that. I'm a very, very sociable person. I just don't like collecting crowds, you know, hordes of friends. It's just, um, I find it too tedious. And uh, the few that, the handful I did have, I had quite, uh, 
a handful when I was secular and in the world. As soon as I became a Christian and received my calling and ran with Christ, because as soon as I got my calling, I ran with the message of the gospel. There was no gradual process. I was the Lord dropped me in at the at the deep end, and there I was, you know, a bit like uh, the earlier servants making all the excuses. I actually burst out in tears, saying, "But I don't even know who you are." And what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go out there and bring and bring shame to your name? Am I supposed to go out there? Why have you chosen to embarrass me like this? I don't even know who you are. Because I belonged to something of a Christian cult. Which wasn't Bible teaching or Bible believing. We just went when we, you know, went with the flow. And women were not allowed to do um to take any prominent positions in that church uh, concerning teaching. And even the men that were there couldn't teach anything because they didn't even know the Lord. So it was tough. But I ran with the message and my friend said, they actually said it to my face that I had gone crazy. They thought I was, I'd gone mental. They said, yeah, she, we know she's been, a, she, she, she's been a Christian all along, but now she's gone absolutely insane because my language changed. Yes, I began to speak in a, a new language, the new language, the language of Christ. Everything now centered around Christ, every word centered around the gospel. I found no other reason for anyone to be on earth if not for the glory of God. And that is exactly what the Word of God teaches because that is what God created us all for. So there we are. If you come to God, if you ask God, you must believe that He exists and rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So seek wisdom. Without the wisdom of God, believe me, you cannot stand before the devil. And we are in the standing battle. You cannot stand by your own wit and intelligence. You can't. Satan's intelligence is only subordinate to that of the triune God. In the same way, his power is only subordinate to that of the triune God. He is such a clever person. He's so clever. You cannot beat him. I cannot beat him with our own intelligence. But with the wisdom of God, we've got all the power. And that is why the wisdom of God tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Many people do not resist. They don't even know how to resist the devil. People now are running after the devil. The devil ran after. He went after Eve and Adam. He went after the Lord Jesus Christ. He went after Peter. He went after Judas. And Judas, you know, well, no, actually, Judas sought him out. Exactly. This is the difference now between people of today. The people today are living in the footsteps of Judas. Yes, because you betray Christ when you, when you follow heretical teachings and nonsense teachings because you like what you're hearing. Even though it's contrary to the written word of God. But it's nice. So you love it. So you betray Christ. My best friend who runs a Christian bookshop. just uh, She phoned me last week to say she would not be able to sell my book. The book I've just written. The book Elevating Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ Alone as Lord. It's called Fleece My Sheep. Now, she had taken, she had personally asked, I don't know how to ask favors because I don't want anyone to usurp on the praise or glory of God. So I always let the Lord do his own work. But she went out of her way to say, could I bring some of the books to a shop? And then she phoned me back to say uh, a few days later saying, having read the book, it mentions some people who I like and whose teachings I like and whose books I sell. And it mentions them, you know, in a controversial way. So I'm not going to be, I said that you want me to take my books away from your shelves and can you just take them off your shelf? Don't worry about it. So I went to collect the books. So you can see, you see, when it comes to the push and shove, when the push comes to the shove, rather, how many of us will stand to be counted for Christ and be unpopular with the world, be unpopular with your friends, be unpopular with your spouse, be unpopular with your family, with your, with anybody? 
and just you and you alone standing for Christ. How many people can do that? That is the acid test of Christianity. That is the acid test of Christianity. My friend said to me, when people read the book and they come and ask me questions about it, in view of the fact that I, you know, seem to, uh, I, I like all these other people that you've mentioned in your book in a, ne- in a negative light, uh, what am I supposed to say? I said, I don't know why people are going to ask you the question. You're not the author of the book. So, <laughs> but there you go. She was afraid of what people would ask her. She's afraid to stand before people. What to answer to people. Now, I only answer to God and to God Almighty alone. So I don't care whose ox is God when I speak the words of God and preach and teach the word of God that he has put in my mouth. I will say it to king, president, prime minister, all on sundry. It doesn't bother me because I'm not sent of man or by man. I'm sent to man from and by God Almighty, the maker of all things, the creator of every person. But you see, this is where it is very vital. You need the wisdom of God to be able to understand those things and be able to live and be able to stand in the battle. Without the wisdom of God, you will not stand. You will not stand. The Bible says to us that the wisdom of man is foolishness in the sight of God. So doubt and distrust. If you're suffering from that, you're not sure. And sometimes you wonder, is the word of God true? Sometimes you wonder, can God really do what he said? You know, devil is going to make sure he keeps harassing you like that. Make you doubt every word that is written in the book. Now, I'm not talking about the silly promises and empty promises that people, you know, shout down many pulpits nowadays and on telly and on radio telling you God has promised you a miracle. God said he's going to see your breakthrough in seven days. Oh, God has said he's delivered you from your cancer. And people stop taking their medication and die three weeks later. I'm not talking about such foolishness. God is not interested in such foolishness. But God's promises to us are eternal. And if you then doubt your salvation or doubt that God can bring to pass what he will bring to pass. Yes, God does care about our material needs. And that is why Jesus said to us, do not worry. Do not worry about your material needs. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. It's not the pagans run after these things. But you, you seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. If you are not able to believe that and you doubt the word that God is actually able really to meet your needs. So much so that you spend all your life running after and chasing after wealth and money and miracles and financial breakthroughs and things. You are a doubter. And you know what the Bible says? We just read it in James. He said, such a person, one who doubts like that, he should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And that is that instability that makes people restless. That's why people running back and forth, looking for somebody, a prophet or a pastor, who can pray better than the last one they knew or than, than the last one they visited or than the one who leads their church. You think somebody has a bigger authority in their mouth to speak, to approach God than you? If you get your Christianity right, and it is not a religion, you see, this is what I said, if you get your Christianity right, Christianity is not a religion. I hate it when people call it a religion. It is the way of life. It is a relationship with the Most High God through the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for our sins. So if you get to Christianity right, you find that you do not need the wisdom of men. And you find that no man has authority more than you to approach your Father who is in heaven. We all have equal access, regardless of what titles we may carry. Well, I don't even have a title anyway. I'm an evangelist. It's my job. It's not a title. My title is Miss. 
But regardless of whatever people may present themselves to you as, you start seeing yourself as inferior to them. Now, I'm not saying huff and puff. The Bible says, look at that. The Bible says we should consider others better than ourselves. But today's ministers are lords of their empires. They consider themselves superior to the congregation. And you love that. And so you go and kneel down before them and they're putting all their filthy hands. You don't even know where their hands have been. They're telling you they're laying hands on you with their stupid rings. They all seem... Have you noticed how a lot of all those charismatic televangelists and all those great big prophets and things all over the place, why they always all have one great big ring of the other on their fingers, full of diabolic means most of them are. Behave yourself. You get your relationship right with the Lord, you will ask God and he will answer you in as much as you're asking in line with his will. But if you want to keep living under false pretense and fake promises, well, you have yourself to blame. God does not owe us anything. So you see, doubt and distrust will come in many ways. It is part of the wiles of the devil. It can be misleading because a person who doubts and distrusts in God will seek other means. This is what I've been talking about. You know, you seek all kinds of means from all kinds of men and all kinds of people, regardless of who they are. Prophet, priest, pastor, evangelist, whatever they may be. You're seeking their help rather than actually concentrating on the word of God and seeking the Lord's face only. Only the Lord can do all things and make all things about you. But you want to seek the help of people. Let me tell you what God says about that. And that has not changed. It's in Jeremiah chapter 17 from verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But on the other hand, verse 7, it's from verse 7, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So it's up to you. Which side are you? Whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the ministers who promise you breakthroughs and all those things and financial bliss and tell you poverty is a curse? It's not part of your portion. You're not supposed to be sick because you're a Christian. There's no reason. The reason you're not married is because you've got a spirit wife or a spirit husband. The reason you're not, you haven't got children is because of some curse from your grandfather or your grandmother. Do you want to believe all that baloney that's absolutely unscriptural? Or do you want to believe the word of God, that whatever you may be going through, whatever this life may hold in store for you, whatever this blow this life may deal you, it is well with you for all eternity because you have that hope of salvation. It's up to you. People tend to want their rewards now. You want your reward now. That's why people want, they're not ready to live for that hope of eternity. Many people don't even know what it is to have the hope of eternity. As far as they come to God and to Christ, you know, I've given my life to Christ, they expect you to begin to deliver. And then some people are deceiving you, telling you to put all your money into sowing seeds because, you know, you need to activate God into action. He can't do anything unless he sees your seed first. Oh, yeah? You've just been robbed. You are being fleeced. That's what my book is about. Fleece my sheep. You're just being fleeced rather than being fed. So, you see, fed, you know, Doubt and distrust in God can lead to many evils and even lead to that curse that God pronounced in Jeremiah 17 from verse 5 to anyone, verses 5 and 6, anyone who wants to look to man for their strength. So there you go. Who do you believe? 
it is part of the enemy's plan to derail you. And doubt and distrust, you know what, in turn it leads to fear. You're in perpetual fear because you're afraid of what's going to happen. Because you think you don't have the answers. Well, you don't have the answers. So you're afraid. Because you're not sure whether God is able to do what he said. Because you're not sure whether God is going to deliver. You think you've waited long enough. So you're troubled and you're bothered and it's a problem for you. So you see, and so you're traumatized, you're distressed, you're disturbed. And so fear sets in. But is fear of God? No, of course not. It is still part of the schemes of the evil one. Fear is part of the schemes of the devil. Fear is part of the of the machinations of, of, of Satan. Fear also leads to a lot of other evils. And what does the Bible tell us in Second Timothy? Chapter 1 of Second Timothy, where Paul was speaking to Timothy, who felt rather intimidated by the crowd he was leading. He was a, Timothy was a very young man, and um, being put in charge of um, the church there, he was... Uh, you know, he was being intimidated, and so he would write to Paul, you know, wor- worrying about things. And Paul was counseling him and talking to him and things. So in Second Timothy, chapter, chapter 1, from verse 7 there, Paul, in exhorting Timothy, tells him that, look, where are we? For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Some versions it says, and of a sound mind. A sound mind, a mind that is sober, that is not traumatized by e- by the evil one, a mind that does not entertain fear or distrust, a sound mind, self-discipline, the ability to know that God is in control and trust in him and continue to love and honor him regardless. You know, the reason we worship God is not because of what he's going to do for us or what he can do for us. He's already done the ultimate for us who come to him. He's already done the ultimate thing for us. In that he's already given his son. He's given his son for us already to pay for our sins and ransom us from from death and judgment. I don't think there's a greater gift or greater miracle than that. Than that gift of abundant life, of eternal life. We're just not going to die. Don't you understand? When we die from this world, we're separated from this world. That's what death is. Separation. Well, you separate from, who wants to stay in this nasty, sane, evil, ridden world anyway? If this is all you've got to live for, I pity you, my friend. I really pity you. As a believer, we look forward to that glorious promise, the home of righteousness that God is going to create in the new earth. That's what we look forward to. No evil, no sin, no wickedness, no suffering, no toiling, no, wait, no tears, no sickness, no sorrow. That we look forward to. But in this life, we're still going to go through these things, unfortunately. Sorry. You may not like to hear it, but it's the truth. And I will not keep the truth of God for any reason. Because that is exactly what I was redeemed for. To proclaim his truth. And bring him glory. So we have not been given a spirit of fear. Fear, the Bible says, in First John chapter 8, the Bible says fear has to do with punishment. Now, if you know, and so as such, if you love God, if you truly love God, this is what the Bible is saying. If you truly love God, you have nothing to be afraid of. First John four eighteen. there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, which love are we talking about here? The love that John is talking about is our love for God. 
our love for God. And like I said, when we worship God, we worship him because of who he is. Because he is sovereign. Because he is our maker. Because he alone sustains us and sustains all things. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell in it. He put us here for his pleasure. We didn't ask him to. He sustains us. He's put all things there for our use. We did not put anything here. Doesn't it make you laugh? Certainly makes me laugh when I watch the folly of the peoples of the world. These are the intelligentsia of the world. The scientists and all that and all the governments getting their heads together. And just all they do is, you know, scaremongering. Telling the people, ooh, if we continue using water like this, we're going to run out of water soon. How long have they been saying we're going to run out of oil soon? We're going to run out of oil soon. Yet, oil is still being discovered in other parts of the world, in different places. I think three or four countries, including Ghana in Africa, only recently discovered oil. Yet, these people talk as if they were the ones who put the first supply of oil there in the first place. We're supposed to run out of fish in the seas by the year 2050. Like they can tell you the origin of the very first fish. We're going to run out of this, we're going to run out of that, we're going to they forget. So we want to they want to save the environment and so we're all being taxed and robbed of all our earnings because we are paying for environmental this and environmental that. I see it as foolishness. Because I'm sorry. I believe in the sovereign God and the sovereign God alone. It is his earth. He created it. He sustains it. And I'm not going to tell him how he's running out of steam and how he's running out of power. And I think, you know, very soon, global warming, we're not going to have any more rain or something like that. Who am I to tell God that? But there you go. That's the intelligence of the world that people love to honor and obey and, and believe. Rather than believe in the only God who created all things and who put all things in place. So if you truly love God, you've got nothing to fear. Fear, fear is really bother, fear usually borders on the fear of the unknown. If you love God, you would love the works of his hands. And that is especially your brothers. And this is what John's talking about. Say, perfect love drives out fear. What have you got to be afraid of if you really love God and you know God? If you honor God with your life, if you love God for who he is because he's sovereign, there is nothing to be afraid of. We'll leave it here for now. And we'll continue on this subject the next time I'm on. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you.